Okay, well, welcome to the Mixed Bag podcast, the podcast for every you. I'm your host, Mark Wilkins, and today um, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, uh, Mr. Charles Watts, Watts, the Arsenal correspondent from Goal.com. And uh, Mr. Watts, thank you so much for joining us um, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Charles. Hello, Charles. Hello, mate. You hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You on screen? Hold on, hold on. There There you go. go. What do you You think? Yeah, I've tried to go for um, I've tried to go for Thierry. Obviously, Dennis is still my number one player. Um, but I've, I've, that was my dad. My dad got that. Do you remember when we beat Man City? Um, oh, no. oh, I know. Okay. Uh, when we beat Man City, we won at home. It was a terribly rainy night. Oh, the pit, the Henri uh, screamer. Yeah. yeah. And I was right behind that at the end. And that's someone, someone in the press took that. I think it was AP, and um, my dad liked it so much because Henri did that after the game. I don't know if it was an important game. I think it was sort of like an April game or something like that, and we needed to win. Um, and uh, he liked the picture, and he got that taken, and I've had it up for the last however many years. Fantastic. Nice. Yeah, good old hybrid days. Anyway, um, I've kind of done a, a bit of an intro anyway, just before you joined the call. Um, but essentially, I, I just wanted to to sort of talk to you. Well, I'm going to... It's my first pilot episode, mate. So it's on record. Um, and I'll edit it, edit it as necessary. Um, but I've kind of introduced you as Charles Watts, Arsenal correspondent for Goal.com. And thanks very much for joining us. So fantastic. Um, I'm going to say, if you haven't already, please check out Charles's articles and by heading to goal.com and socials, Twitter, check your YouTube channel, um, where you should definitely subscribe for, uh, I guess, the most up-to-date Arsenal information on the on the web, really. Um, so just for the audience, I think, um, for the record, I'm, I'm a season ticket holder at Arsenal. I've been going to games since 1994. Um, I've been a season ticket holder since we moved to Emirates. Um, so I do go to all the home games. Um, fortunately, or sometimes fortunately, I can't go to the away games uh, very often. Um, and I do rely on Charles's content, of course, um, as well as the uh, match of the day and highlights where I can see him. So really, Charles, or Chuck, I'll call you, if you don't mind. Go for it, mate. Um, I want to take you on a bit of an emotional roller coaster today um, to take you through our league season so far. Um, obviously, starting with... Um, really the the summer where before the season started looking at our squad and who we'd been letting go and what I felt we could get in before the season started I think we signed Ben White didn't we um Tavares and Sammy Lukonga before the season actually started at that point considering we hadn't spent the the 130 that we ended up spending and Looking at the, the people, the personnel that we'd signed in terms of at the back and the fact that at the end of last season or the majority of last season, we struggled to score goals over and really the whole attack of firing. 
I really felt a little bit of apprehension going into the league season. When when you looked at our squad when when we started the first game against Brentford or before it, ignoring the COVID situation, how did you think that we'd set up for the new season in terms of personnel? Well, I didn't think it was going to be much different from last season because it was pretty much the same team, wasn't it? Um, and I, you said ignore the COVID situation, but it was hard to at the start of that season as well. Start of the season as well, it played such a big part in things. But you know, I wasn't full of optimism going into the league season by any means. I thought Ben White was a decent signing. I wasn't sure if Arsenal really needed him, though. Um, and that fifty million could have been spent elsewhere in more priority positions. I thought Tavares, obviously, they needed left back cover for Kieran Tierney. We saw that at the end of last season. Um, that was really important. And Sambi looked like a decent, um, talented young kid who would come in and provide some cover. But in terms of coming in and sorting out the senior team and correcting the problems that we've seen in the last two seasons, it, there wasn't really much change, was there? So I wasn't full of optimism going into that, into the new season and heading into Brentford, and then. Chelsea and Manchester City. I was kind of hoping maybe to have three points after those three games. That wasn't wasn't to be after what happened at Brentford. But um, I think the inability at that stage to bring in the players we needed to strengthen the starting eleven, and then the COVID situation just caused chaos at the start of the season, really. And and that's why we saw the results that followed. With with David Luiz going and being our kind of like. I hate to say rock because I don't really think that he's a rock, but kind of like our most experienced defender, the whole Saliba thing over the summer was bizarre, whether there's personal things that we don't know, whether you know or don't, I don't know. But in, in terms of like having someone at the club signing in for that sort of fee and then not playing him at all, it did look bizarre. But I always felt like Ben White was a bit more ready-made, if that makes sense, even though he's, he's a young defender and hadn't really had that much experience of playing in big, big games. Because obviously when you're playing for Brighton, you're not really. But yeah, it did confuse me um, considering the attacking options. I thought Odegaard would come back despite all this kind of flirting with Real Madrid and stuff like that. So I, th I always thought that would be a good signing. But yeah, I, I felt like we, we could have spent money elsewhere. I, at that point... I didn't know what Arteta and Edu's plan was and how much it was being influenced by agents like Jarabchan or whoever and dealing with the Willians and stuff. Because whenever we signed attacking players, it's not been going that well. I mean, the Willian thing was just... Everyone was, like, happy. And then suddenly he starts playing and it's, it's crap. So, yeah, it was a bit I mean, William, William was... William was weird. I mean, I can't. I, I, I thought it was going to be a decent signing. I thought it was a, yeah. you know, pretty no risk signing, and 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 he would continue playing like he did at Fulham on the opening day. And obviously, it went it went wrong, and it was dreadful. And fair play to him for actually allowing Arsenal to basically rip up his contract a couple of years early because he kind of looked yeah. at that and feared you're going to be stuck in another Mesut Özil situation. Um, and that wasn't the case. And I think it's best for all parties that he moved on. But. The Saliba one was weird and I don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. No one does and it's a weird one and it's never it's never come out if there's actually an issue between the two or anything's happened. You know, I haven't heard it and clearly no one else on who sort of covers the Arsenal beat has heard it because no stories have ever come out about it. So, you know, Arsenal absolutely still to this day still maintain that he's part of the, part of the future and, um, you know, there was no purchase option in, in that loan deal with Marseille like in other loan deals. You know, they haven't included that and, I think what you got to realise with Saliba, obviously he was signed by the previous regime. He was signed by the regime of Raul, Emery, 
um, and and um, Hoos Farmy as well. You know, he was Hoos was massive in that deal. He was even on the plane on that um, unveiling video that yeah. Saliba recorded. You know, Hoos was on the plane with him, come back with him and his agent. <clears throat> and then all three of those are gone, and now you got Artessa. Um, Richard Garlick mm. and Edu it's just like it almost feels like he's fallen through the crack, cracks of that regime change almost but again Arsenal still maintain he's going to be part of the future and um, you know you look at it though and wonder you've got Ben White and Gabriel now both 23 unless he's going to suddenly go with three at the back when Saliba comes back you've got you know is he going to play every, every game I don't know but I think also with Saliba you've got to remember how young he is he's still, he's still an absolute kid I mean what you look mm. around Europe you look at the very top level the top teams in across Europe, what who's got a twenty-year-old centre back starting from? It, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. It, it very rarely happens, and you just got. To, I think you've got to remember that as well, and certainly one who's never played in the Premier League before. So, you know, I really hope he comes back because he looks like a huge talent. I wish he'd gone on loan yeah. in in England this season, so we could have seen him in the Premier League for a year. But Arsenal wanted him to do that, but he chose to go back to France. I wish we could have seen him. You know, week in, week out in the Premier League, see how well prepared he's going to be. Um, but hopefully, he'll come back next summer. He'll get a chance. We'll finally get to see him because Jesus we spent mm. thirty million quid nearly on this kid, and we've not seen him play a single minute yet. And it just seems so utterly bizarre, especially when he's clearly talented and he plays well week in, week in, out in France. I know France and England are completely different level, but um, it was a weird one again in the summer. It didn't surprise me that he went out on loan um, again though and hopefully like I said he can have a decent season he's playing at a top level club in Marseille you know and there's huge expectation on that club he's under huge pressure with absolutely crazy fans demanded everything week in week out yeah. so that's good he's playing in Europe as well so you know he's gone up a level from what he was doing last season with, with Nice and hopefully that can serve him serve him well and come back next summer and, and really sort of crack on and try and get himself into the team yeah I think I think we're, we've become an impatient fan base considering the personnel that we've got. We always think, let's try something new um, in midfield or in defence just to solve a problem. We're like, try something new or get the kids I think on. Saliba, though, everyone was so excited about signing him when he, and he, and he's clearly yeah, such a talent. And they, spent, they spent so much money on him and it kind of felt like an exciting signing because it was different. It was a, you know, getting him before anyone else and getting him on board and hopefully seeing him develop into this generational talent that, everyone sort of seemed to think he was he might be but um i think that's part of it as well because i think there was just such big excitement levels of having got that one got him done and it felt a little bit different for arsenal that deal and then we're yeah. all gonna be a yeah. star and then we haven't seen him play three years later great um just just going on to then adding odegaards um aaron ramsdale um and tommy yasu before the season uh the window shut sorry um, and, and, and obviously the big players to leave, um, William and David Luiz for me particularly, I, was, I wasn't worried about it because I didn't want him to re-sign. Um, but just on the incomings as well, Odegaard, did you, because obviously we weren't great at the end of last, well, the last five games we were good last season, but in the mix of the season, did you feel that Odegaard warranted enough for us to spend what looks like a bargain bit of money on him to, to bring him back into the club in that position with Emil Smith-Rowe kind of emerging as he was? I think so. I think, yeah, I think he got the chance to sign Odegaard for the money that Arsenal had to pay for him. I think he'd do it all day long. Um, I can't see it anyway, even if he bombs, which I don't think he will because he's too good a player. Um, you're not going to lose much money on him, uh, I think. And, you know, as long as he plays remotely well, 
over here for yeah. the next few years. Even if you, you know, if you decide to move on, you're gonna, you should make a profit because he's he's a quality player. He's young, you know, he's a leader despite his age. He's an international captain, um, and he made a big impact last season. He improved Arsenal. There's no doubt he improved Arsenal last season. I don't think necessarily that it's it's going to affect Emil Smith Rowe because I, I like Emil out, out out wide. We saw it in the, you know, against Tottenham and mm. how well he played there, and even against Brighton. Uh, he was by far the standout player, and um, and that's coming from out wide. He's just, you know he's got that ability to drive forward. He can rotate. And I want to see, I don't want to see Arsenal rigid either. I don't want to see. I think that's been their problem recently going forward in the last few years. Is everyone's just rigid? There's no there's no you know players aren't rotating out of position and swapping roles. Like you, you think back to the I was going to say glory days, but they weren't actually glory days. But the fun days of Arsenal and some of those teams of. You know, Santi, Nasri, Sesk, Riziki, Kleb, you know, they were all, all over the shop. No one was fixed as a number 10 or anything like that. They were just given license to roam and go and create and cause problems and pull teams out of position. And I think when you've got a, you've got a three of Saka, Emil and, and Odegaard, they've all got the quality to do that. You know, one can pop up on the right, the next they're up on the left. One can move into the 10 roll. And I think it just gives Arsenal a little bit more fluency going forward in an attack. And we certainly saw it work really well against Tottenham. I mean, they're all young, so it's not going to be brilliant week in, week out. We saw that at Brighton. It didn't quite work there. But, um, you know, I think Odegaard has an awful lot to this Arsenal team and Arteta loves him. And, I, you know, he was always a priority in when it came to signing an attacking midfielder. It looked for a time like he was going to stay at Real Madrid and they weren't mm. going to let him go. But as soon as Real decided to let him go, then he was always going to yeah. come back to Arsenal. Yeah, it's cracking signing. Do you just talking about rigidity there in in our attacking, um, let's call it fluidity? Um, do you think because we had defensive um, um, problems when Arteta came in that he put a structure in terms of the way the team was set up that they've learned temporarily in the first part of his reign, maybe the first six months to a year? And it's kind of spilled over into being a little bit more defensive-minded because of our leaky problems at the back. And that's led to us being a bit blunted in attack. I don't know, because we've moved from 3-5-2 with without the ball to 4-3-3 to 4-3-1-2 or 4-2-3-1. I just don't know what our best, our best formation is yet. And it seems like the big teams we need to sit back and counter. But when we come across teams with the low block, then we struggle to break them down. And I don't know why. We were saying early goal at Emirates always like helps the crowd and helps the movement, you know? Um, but I just, I still don't feel like I know what our real main aim is. Mm -hmm. I like, he's always wanted to be 4-3-3 Arteta since he's come in. That was his dream mm. formation. And we kind of seen it recently this season when um, Party's been on his own. You had Odegaard like Burnley away. You had Odegaard and Smith Rowe in that central three. And then it allowed you to have Pepe and Saka on the wing with Orba up front. But I'm just not sure he really trusts that, certainly against some of the better teams and the bigger teams mm. where Arsenal are going to be under pressure. Like, I know people said, oh, Brighton, they're not a good team, but Brighton are a decent team. They play really good football. And they were always going to have, I thought, more possession in that game at the weekend. And so mm. I wasn't surprised mm. to see him go back and have two in midfield in that one rather than leave Party on his own because Party would have been really isolated. So it's just, I think you've got to pick and choose. I think what he's got now of his squad is the ability to change formations and change systems when he wants. He could play back three. I think more often than not, you'll see 4-2-3-1. But against certain teams, certainly at home, I think you'll probably see him play that 4-3-3 and that will allow him to bring another attacker into the team, and which would be Pepe, you would think. And, you know, Pepe's a weird one. He's, 
um, he frustrates the hell out of me. Does and and his touch can be dreadful, but he's a goal threat. And Arsenal don't have many goal threats in this team. And when Pepe plays, he is a goal threat. He makes things happen. He, and um, he, he can either score or he can create. And you just feel like there's more likelihood of Arsenal scoring a goal when Pepe's in the team for me. So I think more often than not, you've got to try and find a way of including him in, in, a, in a squad, certainly at home. Um, mm. And that's why I do like the idea of that 4-3-3 with Party, Odegaard and Emil in, the, in, that, in that three. But like I said, you've got to pick and choose your games because you do that against someone like Man United or Man City, Liverpool, you're just going to get absolutely destroyed in midfield because Party will just have no help whatsoever. No, I'm with you. I, do you know what? With Pepe, he's my most frustrating player. I would love to see his mindset be much more aggressive, focused on kind of punting the ball, like, like taking the ball and really dribbling at people because it seems like he's only got one trick and he's got this like little tiny step that doesn't work. Then it doesn't work in the first minute. It won't work in the last minute. But I really would like to see him like turn into a bit more of a, maybe it's something that he's not ever going to have, you know, that kind of, passion to to really close someone down and be aggressive and be in there be in the corner of their eye when you're doing any defensive work and I think that would help his attacking but he is a most, I just, he I is just a don't, I don't, he's got a great left peg isn't he yes but I just don't I don't think he's a great footballer and that's the issue you I think he's, mean? he's very yeah. good like you said when he get when he's with his kind of one trick and cutting inside mm. and bending one into the top corner and he's great and he's a good finisher but in the Premier League, you've got to be more than that. You've got to be able to control the ball well, and and that will give you a. Especially if you're out wide, you got you got to bring that ball down straight away, and that will give you an extra yard to then run at his man. But when Pepe invariably doesn't control it well enough, and by the time he's got it under control, he's closed down, and then he hasn't got any space to do what he's good at, which mm. is knock the ball and run and use his pace. So he, he just struggles a little bit, and he always comes back to that price tag, doesn't it? I think if you do, if Arsenal spend thirty million pounds on Pepe, you look at it and think it's a decent enough deal. But it's a seventy-two million. He's just not seventy-two million pound player. It's plain and simple. He just doesn't have the tools to justify that sort of price tag, which is why it's no surprise that some of the people involved in that deal quickly uh, left the club soon after it was, uh, it was done. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. Anyway, um, Brentford first game of the season, newly promoted. Um, a brand new stadium, which I've, I drive past on the, on, the, on the way to the Arsenal anyway. Um, and then the team's announced, but the COVID crisis. I mean, Arteta's clearly said he doesn't think the game should have gone ahead. Why do you think it did go ahead? Like, it, it obviously should have been cancelled given the outbreak that we had. Was it just too late to inform the FA or was it because it was the first game of the season? I think had that not been the first game of the season, had it been on the weekend, you know, Saturday, 3pm kickoff, I think that, that that game would have been called. Cool. I think for the Premier League, it would have been an absolute disaster for that the big return match with fans in the stadium suddenly to be called off on the Friday night when everyone's ra- waiting for it to be called off a few hours beforehand. I just don't think they could, they just, I don't think they could stomach mm. the idea of it. And so they made it all go ahead. I mean, Arsenal thought, even with a few hours before kickoff, they thought there was a good chance it was going to get cancelled, you know. Really? Yeah. And it and it didn't and it it's no surprise to me that they didn't that they had a bit of a shock there it was going to be a difficult game at the best of times as soon as I saw a fixture list I thought oh my god Brent, because everyone was talking <laughs> about Chelsea and Man City game but you looked at it and just thought newly promoted side in their brand new stadium first game ever in the Premier League Friday night under lights you just knew exactly what it was going to be you knew how up for it they were going to be what the atmosphere was going to be like and it just immediately sprang out as oh no that's just going to be a really really tough game and then on top of that. 
so many players out, COVID mm. r- raging through the squad. It was just Arsenal on a hide into nothing that night. And uh, and it panned out, unfortunately. Um, I mean, that's, it was a weird one. You look at, I looked at it and I didn't actually think they were that awful. They just had some nightmare moments in defence when they got bullied. And they were, the, when the chances came, they didn't take the chances at the other end. They could easily have still got something from it, but. You know, it was it was just a bad night, and it was just a night set up perfectly for Brentford, and and they seized it, got the win, and I mean it was brilliant to be there and listen to that noise after so long without yeah. fans. Yeah. You know, it was a great occasion, but yeah, it was just one of those head in your hand sort of nights. Like everything that possibly could have gone wrong did go wrong on that one, and on the top of that, knowing that you had Chelsea and Man City to come in the next games, it just immediately. Mm. It started the season in that horrible, horrible way that you knew wasn't going to get any easier over the next fortnight. <laughs> Balogun's debut. A um, lot of hype about the guy. Um, I've not seen him play um, more than sort of 20 minutes. Hmm. I was underwhelmed, but I'm not making a judgment at this point. Um, I think there was way, way... It was completely the wrong game for him to be put on the pitch. Um a show of faith and sometimes that you know sometimes we've seen players step up and you know Cesc played when he was what 16 17 steps up you knew he was going to be a player at that point Balogun considering his position as well and the fact that he is young the, the whole hype in the summer I felt a bit sorry for him to be yeah. honest with you he, he was just he was on a hide into nothing as well we didn't even know he was playing until a few hours before the game he hadn't trained as is that true struck. yeah well, right. you know look Laka Laka went down the morning of the game. Like he was training the day before. Orba was out. Orba didn't train from I think the Wednesday, so they knew he mm. wasn't going to be involved. But Laka was, you know, left the training ground on Thursday, on Friday, sorry, and was due to meet on Thursday and was due to meet up with the squad on Friday morning and go off to the team hotel. And it wasn't until Friday morning that he had symptoms, and so they had to cancel him. So, and then you had, well, see, Martinelli had only just come back from Brazil and had like no training sessions. Eddie was mm. out, and it was like, what, what? You just had to throw Balogun in there and hope it. I hope it worked and you know it was a lot it was a lot to ask of such a young yeah. kid never started in the Premier League before I think I don't think he'd even come on in the Premier League before up to that point had he mm-hmm. and um, again on a night like that atmosphere like that against a really wound up team strong defensive team and we've seen what Brentford yeah. have done since that game you know they're no mucks at all they're a decent team and they're proving that in the Premier League and it was just it was just a difficult night for Balogun. Yeah. I, I wouldn't write him off because of that at all. I think he's a really talented kid and we've seen that in the Europa League last season when he played. Um, you, you definitely can't judge him on on that one. So I think Balogun should have gone on loan. I don't know why he's still still there personally. I think what he's not playing under 23s football between now and January is going to do him no good whatsoever. We've seen he's tearing it up week, week in, week out in that league now. He's too good for it. He needs to go out on loan. I don't know why they've kept him Um it just felt like they had to send him out alone. It's just a bit baffling to mm. me that. But I think I, w- I wouldn't be surprised he goes out in January and gets some and gets some minutes in the championship at least. Yeah, Bristol City. I've always fa- I've Someone always liked like them that. as my R- my really club. You know, um, that would be great. Um, I think men's football for that guy is is certainly regular men's football is what he's going to need. Um, you need, you need it. He, he's got like, the physical attributes, isn't he? Yeah. It? Yeah, 20, he's too good for 23s. He, he is. You can see what he's doing every time they, they, he plays in it. It's just, mm. looks like he's taking taking the piss when he's playing in it a lot of the time now. He saw the little trick he did the other day at the Emirates like, when he played on Friday night and won the penalty. Um, he's just too good for it. And under 23s football's great for a certain level, but 
you players get too good for it very, very quickly. And that's what you've got to send them out on loan. And Arsenal are good at that now. They are sending more and more players out on loan. They've completely changed how they do their loan, um, how they work their loan um, sort of system. Ben Nath is a loan manager there and he's great. And um, I just think they really missed a trick not sending him out at the start of the season. Maybe it's because they thought they might need him because of what was going on. But, um, you know, you kind of look at it now and it's the same as Eddie last second half last season. What, what good did it do, Eddie, sitting around second half last yeah. season not playing did no good at all and um Balogun at his level now he needs to go out and play proper senior football week in week out and he's not going to get that at 23 level yeah um, you mentioned it earlier about the the impending arrival of um Chelsea and, and Man City in the following game um how did you feel after the Brentford game knowing it's a results business ultimately we had lost the first game of the season there weren't really any impressive performances. Were you full of dread going into the first home game of the season? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? We're no, no one. Even I, I went to that game with my dad. I didn't sit in the press box because I um, I did a sort of documentary type thing for goal on um, yeah. fans returning to the stadium. And I sort of filmed my dad going back to his seat for the first time in 18 months. So I went and sat in my actual seat for the first time in four years in the stadium. I loved it. I loved him back there and not being in the yeah. press box. But um, and I went with my dad. He's the most optimistic Arsenal fan you're ever going to get. Literally, we're, I mean, we're we so crap and down at ten men, four nil down twenty minutes ago, and you still think we're all going to win. Something like that. Yeah. He's so optimistic. And um, and I just, I just went up there. I just went up there next to him on it, just moaning the whole way up there. Man. This is going to be so bad. And he was trying to make me think we had a chance of winning, but it's just it weren't going to happen. I mean, Chelsea are yeah. such a good side and. Arsenal were in such a state at that point. Um, it was just never going to happen. No, I thought it actually started pretty well for 15 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But then as soon as Reese James was just kind of given the freedom of that, I don't know what Kieran Tierney was doing in that first half in that game, because I've never seen Reese James get so much space constantly. Um, and yeah, they took full advantage. And Lukaku absolutely destroyed the centre-backs. And um, yeah, it was just a, it was a very rude awakening in in terms of just how far the gap is between those sort of sides yeah. now and and where we are. Yeah, I, I I share your impending sense of doom pre-match, mixed with the happiness of going back to Emirates for the first game of the season, um, and all the lockdown and all the COVID um, pandemic stuff. So. Obviously, as a result, I think the way, as you said, the way we started was was fairly decent. Um, but then it was one of those games where, as the home team, being at home, you're buoyed by that early season. We're at home. We need to give them a bit of a shock. And then the reality of the levels that Chelsea and Arsenal are at right now, um, certainly in the men's game, uh, is, is kind of like came to smack us in the face. I think it just proved to me like, I know we we were a top. We have been a top side in the past, but Chelsea are just they're so far ahead of us in terms of structure, team availability right now, and and just the the whole way that the clubs run or been run under Roman Abramovich. That mm. I feel like we we are a long long way off that um, in t in terms of how the club is run, let alone the first team. So yeah, how did you feel after the game? Just as a fan, obviously separating your job from it, it's kind of like I was pretty depressed. I was uh, yeah, I was pretty depressed going back. I, I have to admit, but I mean, it wasn't wholly unexpected, was it? It's and 
I think I was kind of balancing out the fact that I knew that the squad was going to be very, or the team was going to look very different in a few weeks' time. And you're mm. going to have players back. There was going to be new signings coming in still. And um, it was going to be a very different team. And um, so I was kind of clinging on to that fact. And just wanted, I just wanted to get, at that point, as a fan, I just wanted, and, and actually as a reporter as well, because dealing with defeats and demoralising defeats when you're a reporter and you have to sit on social media all day is absolutely so <laughs> disappointing. And um, I just was so desperate at that point to get Man City out of the way, mm. get that international break out of the way and then get to the next batch of games. It was just, yeah, yeah. It was, that was just a really tough couple of weeks out as a, as a fan and, and as a journalist covering it. You just wanted to fast forward, just hit that button, fast forward and get through to the end of the international break. Unfortunately, we'll have to talk about Man City. Um, I think it was the result we expected, certainly, um, given the way we've been playing against them. Even even at home, has been for a long, long time now. I've always felt like David Silva had our number, then it turned out that it was just Pep in the end anyway. But the level of performance we got in that game, how much do you think the team selection was still influenced by COVID? Because Saeed, Kolasinac, Cedric, Chambers, all starting in the same team. Just feels like a team full of potential individual errors. It was, yeah, it was just a mismatch. I didn't go to that game because I, I had to look after my kids. And I remember <laughs> I was sitting in McDonald's in Maidenhead and uh, getting them a happy meal. And the team, the team news came through. And I remember I sat there at the same I was looking at it. I was thinking, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> at, it too, I was just sitting there for about 10 minutes, just looking at it, trying to work out what formation it was going to be. What I was like, how, how the hell is Sierra Kalasnach come back in the starting 11 out of nowhere? It was so bizarre. Um, I think we played the West Brom game just before midweek, haven't we? Mm. Kalasnach played in that. Yeah. We obviously won 6 0 against West Brom kids. I just remember sitting there thinking, what is he doing? And, and I knew he always tries to do something clever against Man City, Arteta. And, it always backfires horribly, like playing Willian as, as a false nine away. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, as soon as you saw that team, you knew what was coming, absolutely. And and also, you look, you go through, you just said that defence there. You kind of look at that defence there and then look at what defence is now. I mean, it's literally worlds mm. apart, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. just such a mismatch then. And obviously, you know, Jack again sent off at 2-0. I mean, it was just... It was just a disaster from, from start to finish. It was as bad as we all thought. And I think we all knew it was going to be a hiding up there. It always yeah. is. And um, yeah, it was bad. It was as one-sided as as we all thought. It was, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> it's just yeah. a horrible the Jacques Jack challenge, when he kind of started the movement to go into it, I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect him to do that. Um, and, you know... What Arteta's been talking about pre-season, about Xhaka being our leader and the mentality of the team, his mentality is something that he wants to get out to the rest of the team. And, you know, he's a real, he is a leader and someone to look up to. I have mixed feelings about Granite um, because sometimes I think he can be absolutely phenomenal, but it's a one out, one in every 10 matches scenario. And the rest of the time he's questionable, particularly when he's got the ball in that kind of low-lying defensive midfield position with his with his is is facing our goal and he's got two defenders closing down on him that's when I'm I my, my heart rate rises his contract extension 
potentially justified? I don't really know. Um, I was surprised. I think you were. There's no, there's no justifying that contract extension for me. It was, I don't understand what they thinking, why they did it. I can understand keeping him. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to plug my phone in, mate. It's about to run out. Um, okay. I can, I can understand keeping him, but to give him a contract extension, it made no sense. I mean, this is a player they were happy to lose. They were going to sell him um, just a, m- a month before. If Roma had put money up, he would have gone. Mm. And instead, they give him a new contract. And it's, there's no real market value to protect there. Like they said, I, a lot of people said, oh, just protecting his value. And I said, well, what value really is there for Xhaka now? Um, you're just basically making him harder to sell when he's not mm. first team regular anymore. And it, it just baffled me out. I didn't understand it. And um, the fact that Arsenal didn't even announce it properly kind of summed up they they knew the reaction it was going to get and um mm. especially as after what happened against Manchester City as well which is a classic case of Jack letting the team down for me it was just a, I know people said oh you shouldn't have got sent off but it's just you just don't do a tackle like that especially when you're 2-0 down away at the Etihad and you got a, you, and you're a senior player you just don't do it it was just stupid and uh, I feel like for all of Arsenal's good work in the transfer market this summer, and I like what they've done in the market, and I like their uh, strategy that they're working to. I just feel the big thing they missed there, which again goes back to Ben White maybe, and not spending the money on him, was mm. I think they needed to really improve that central midfield alongside uh, Thomas Partey, and they missed a trip there. And now you've, mm. instead of instead of signing him, um, assigning a new player, you're stuck with Xhaka for an extra few years. It's just a, um, uh, it's just a, Bizarre one for me. Yeah, yeah. 5-0. Um, international break coming up. Played three, lost three. No goals scored. Uh, depression sets in. Um, and I think it was a perfect time for the break for Arsenal. Um, I never really liked international breaks. This one felt like a huge opportunity to reset. Um couple of weeks off um a lot of um arsenal players going to different locations obviously most keenly interested in in bukayo um and his performance with england um and it did well but coming back um with the norwich game i remember speaking to you before the game and i think it was just like we just said it's going to be a huge opportunity it doesn't really matter about the performance it just matters about getting the win um and getting that getting that goal scored and, and starting the season off with a foundation. I felt Aaron Ramsdale coming in at that point could happen. And I was pleased to see that. Do you think that's a significant moment for our defence and ultimately for Bert Leno, Bert Leno? I think it definitely is for Leno. I think... Um, I think... <laughs> I'm surprised that it's happened this quickly in terms of him replacing Leno. I thought it would happen at some point during the season. I didn't expect it to happen under a month, but I think after the way Arsenal had started, the goals they conceded, you just felt like something needed to change uh, at some point. He needed to do something to try and change things. And I think that he did that when he put, he signed Ramsdale and put him straight in for the Norwich game. It was just almost, it was a, a bit of a message really. I thought, um, and I mean, it's been absolutely justified so far the way he's been playing in, in all his appearances. It's been great. I think he just brings a little bit. I like I like Leno. He's always been a good shot stopper, but um, he's always got a mistake in him as well. But you're never really too confident when it comes to claiming crosses and things like that either. And I think mm. I just think Ramsdale's got more of a presence around him 
and mm. um, he's a bit of a nutty goalkeeper, which is kind of what you need in there. You think that's a layman and, and those sort of players. And um, it just brings a little bit more character to, to a team that was maybe a little bit quiet and a defence that was a little bit more quiet. And that's why they signed him. But yeah, I, I'm surprised if he threw him in straight away. I didn't quite think that was gonna that was gonna happen. But I think it's been a really good signing. <laughs> and I wasn't sure on the money. I think everyone was. It was like 30 million for Ramsdale. Do you really need to? Uh, is is that worth it? The guy who's been relegated twice and all that. But it's just English premium, isn't it? I think young English Sheffield United didn't want to sell. He's got to pay, basically pay the price and. Um, mm. Uh, and they've done it. And right now, you look at it and think it's not, they're not really overpaid. He looks like a top quality goalkeeper. The, the, the thing with, with him for me is when he makes his first mistake, that's going to happen at some point pretty soon. You yeah. imagine the goalkeeper, it does. And then it's how he responds to that. You know, does he go into his shell a little bit and lose the confidence that he's got at the moment? Because he's kind of riding a crest of a wave at the moment, isn't he? Everyone loves him. But when he drops his first clanger, which will happen, um, you know, how does he respond to that? Does he go into his shell? Does he lose that confidence or does he just, bounce straight back and like all top goalkeepers do so I think that's going to be really interesting to watch yeah I, I agree with everything there I think um his his vocal reliability to let his defenders know good or bad what they've been doing positionally and and, and the kind of like overzealous kind of celebrations when they make a good tackle I think is a really really important aspect of yeah. his the way he keeps goal um, and it re- I really like to see that. You know, that's what I would want to see if I was if I was on the pitch as a defender anyway. So a good debut as well. Uh, clean sheet. I felt like it wasn't a great performance in the first half. We we created some half chances, but wasn't really convinced of our shape um, and the speed at which we're moving the ball. And I think that did change in the second half. Um, and confidence seemed to grow in the team, the crowd certainly um, in in the North Bank. Um, and just getting the ball in the back of the net, really. I know it was by hook or by crook. It wasn't the most glorious of chances to, to score, but we got the job done. And I think I spoke to you saying it was a really big foundational win in terms of mental headspace. Yeah, I think it was. It was, they just need, it was that game, a classic moment of you just got to get a win. However you do it, you got to win it at that stage. After those three defeats, you had to mm. get something on the board against Norwich at home. Um. And they did. They should have won it miles more comfortably, shouldn't they? It should have been, you know, three, four nil. They had the chances to do it, but just didn't take them in the end. They needed a bit of a scrappy one to get it. And that was kind of what I mean about Pepe making something happen. He did that that game. I think he had six shots and created six chances. The goal came from mm-hmm. him hitting both posts. And um, yeah, it was just about getting over the line, keeping the clean sheet. It just looked felt a little bit fresh that one afterwards because you come back, you'd yeah. seen a new goalkeeper, you'd seen a new centre back partnership. That was the first time we saw White and Gabriel play together. You had Tommy Asu playing for the first time. You had Party um, yeah. back involved again. You had Sambi starting that one. It just felt a little bit new and completely different to what we'd seen in the previous three games before the international break. And um, and then yeah, you got the win as well, which added to that and helped with a sort of buzz in terms of the crowd and the supporters. And it, that kind of felt like the moment the season started, didn't it? You kind of got those th- first yeah. three games away, which you knew were going to be pretty disastrous. And now it started. You got the new signings on board. The squad started to feel like Arteta's squad and team for the first time. It was, I mean, the difference in terms of just that one game from Man City to Norwich, completely different defence. You know, it couldn't, look, couldn't have looked more different in terms of mm. personnel and performance. Um, mm. And that was a moment that just felt like the season started. And obviously... And then you had the Burnley game after that, where it really sort of continued on from that. And you had the real 
battling performance up there in a, in a game where Arsenal would tend to kind of struggle and got the win with a moment of class from Odegaard and sort of backed up that Norwich game. And those two, they felt like the building blocks. You had the home win and then the gutsy, gritty away win, both won by the odd goal, both games won without conceding. And they kind of felt like the building blocks and laying the foundations for the season, those two. And then obviously Tottenham happened, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And um, yeah. and it was just, yeah, it was, it was a moment that, that week, Norwich-Burnley, it was the week that the season started for me, really. Mm. The non-penalty at Burnley with um, Mr. Anthony Taylor, um, it felt like VAR working really well. For the first time, um, I don't know whether that would have happened last season or not, but certainly, uh, certainly a good moment, I think. Um, and the way that VAR has been used in general this season, I think, has been a lot better. Obviously, they're still going to be making mistakes, and the fact that they couldn't check the James Milner incident last week for the potential yellow was a bit bizarre. But Anthony Taylor tried tried his best to. Uh, to ruin the result for us. Um, but VAR come to the rescue, which was nice. But I think that it was a great free kick from Odegaard. It was battling. We needed a 1-0 win. I had quite a lot of fear going into the game. Did you actually go there? Yeah. Yeah, it was brutal. Um, I've been out, I've been out for um, Bernie. Yeah, you know, our mate Bernie. Yeah. Uh, his kid, we were celebrating his kid being born yeah. in Reading on that on that Friday night. And I had to get up. Like, I fell asleep on the sofa, woke up at four in the morning in my clothes. And I had to leave at seven in the morning to get up to Burnley. Oh, brutal. Fantastic. Brutal Fantastic. one. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was desperate for a win. I did not want to be driving home after that, after a bad defeat up there. And, um, it was a good, I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it at the time because uh, we had so many chances to kill that game off and I yeah. was wasting the final ball time after time. So we didn't even get a shot away in the end and it was driving me crazy. Um, and yeah, but once it had finished and we got the win, it was just, it was one of those ones you really enjoyed it. It was like a proper away win of yeah. grinding it yeah. out, getting it and annoying the hell out of the home fans, which I always love at Burnley. Oh, they yeah. hate us. And it's I don't always, know why. No, no. I think They're it's like our we, new Stoke. They are, yeah. I think it's, we've beaten them. It's the way we've beaten them in the past, and it's sort of yeah. last minute goals and stuff like that. And Dyche always had to dig about the diving. Yeah. They hate us up there. They really do. And so it was, um, yeah, it was good to to get the win in that one. And it was a moment of class, smoke card. The VAR, like I said, worked really well. I mean, where I was in the press box, you could see straight away. It was like uh, you could. Do, it was. I had the perfect angle. You saw around. Yeah. Clearly, got the ball. And so I was convinced it was going to be overturned as soon as yeah. it was given. It just looked so blatant to me. So it wasn't a surprise to see that overturned. And it, yeah, like right. I said, it was basically working very well. Yeah, I liked it. Then Tottenham Hotspur at home. One of the fixtures. No, I, 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 I lie. I think it's the fixture I look for first um, after the first game of the season. Um, and getting the three, getting the victories was the most important thing. I think the significance of the win, considering we have to have some real um, great results against uh, Spurs at home over, over the since the Emirates era, really. Um, there's obviously a couple of aberrations that we, we won't mention. Uh, a couple of a significant draw that might have, may or may not have been made into a DVD. Um, but certainly the significance of the win and the overall team performance against Spurs, um, it felt like um, when we played... Manchester United and won 2-0 at home in Arteta's first real game at home 
for us that we I think it was on New Year's Day was it New Year's Day performance or was that against yeah, Chelsea when we really did have to win and it felt like we were in control. Yeah, yeah, it was a brilliant performance from the start. Um, you know, Tottenham were shambles, which was good. Um, but yeah, Arsenal fantastic. It was just a really special day that one. It was the best atmosphere I've heard there since the four two when Torreira scored. Um, and you know, fans were up for it and. It just felt like the moment Arsenal season really sort of ignited at that point because you'd had the building blocks, like I said, and the foundations of the two wins, but you always, you wanted a decent performance as well and some goals and it all just sort of came perfectly to a head in that first half against Spurs, didn't it? And, mm. um, you know, they played really well, like the fluency I talked about in attack and, the, um, you know, Tottenham just couldn't struggle with them, couldn't contain the movement of Arsenal and they took their chances, which is something they don't always do. It just, it was just a perfect, 45 minutes it was just it was yeah. great but yeah it was, it was one of the ones that was really tough to be sitting in the press box for a game like that you just wanted to be sat out in the actual stands with your, with your dad and properly yeah. celebrate it was um it was just a real special special afternoon that one and um and hopefully it's the kind of benchmark for what you want to see for as the season progresses now because it proves that they can do that they can play that sort of way they can cause teams problems going forward they can score goals they can create chances and um, you kind of want to use that performance as a benchmark and not just have it as a sort of one-off because it was a North London derby. You want to say that's mm. what you want to see, especially at home on a weekly basis, really, at that sort of performance because they've shown they can do it. It's just about mm. doing it on a consistent basis now. I think hopefully with, with not playing European football this season, which as much as I don't like the group stage of the Europa League, I do like the knockout stages. Um but just in, in, in the Spurs game, I think the impact of Hale End was for everyone to see there. And, and, and I went to watch England during the summer um, at the Euros. And not many people actually knew about Saka and like how he's been carrying our team. Mm. Um, and it's probably because Arsenal haven't been that good that they've not really been that interested in watching them. But for me, in that game, I thought Saka didn't actually have that great a game, but he still scored a goal and set one up. Um, maybe that's being a bit of a harsh on him. But certainly Smith Rowe, um, his ability on the ball, to run with the ball, to see things, those two really connected. And, and the, the, the best thing for me was reading afterwards that they were talking about scoring a goal and setting each other up at breakfast. It's yeah. the kind of thing that, you know, we all want to do as football fans. Yeah. Talk to your mate about going to play Tottenham and scoring a goal in the North London derby and then going to do it in, in the first half. So, brilliant result, great finish. And, uh, yeah, really impressed with, with what's going on with those two players particularly. Because I think I didn't... I, I, I love, absolutely love Saka, but I still had doubts about Emil Smith-Rowe, but he's really, really impressed me since he's come back into the team. I think Smith Rowe is going to be better than Saka. I really do. I, I think Smith Rowe really. I think I think he's got absolutely everything. His ability to run with a ball, drive with a ball. I mean, that, the goal, Orba's goal. Smith Rowe's touch to get out of his feet and move it forward, and just his head down. And he showed it against Brighton as well with just his willingness to run and get away from players. I just think he's going to get better and better and better. And you know, I think Saka's absolutely incredible talent as well. In between them, the two of them are just going to continue to carry Arsenal as they have done for the last, what, season, basically. Um, I agree with you. I think a lot of England fans, a lot of football fans didn't really appreciate how good Saka was and how much he was carrying Arsenal yeah. last season. I think it could, a lot of it was because it was behind closed doors. And I think people, if your team wasn't playing in a behind closed doors game, you had no real interest watching another team, did yeah. you? Because it was yeah. so yeah. stale and boring and... Yeah. 
horrible, that whole behind closed doors era, that people didn't really mm. watch Arsenal too much if you weren't an Arsenal fan. And so no one really knew how good he was and what he was doing. And obviously in the summer when he got involved for England, that all changed. And, you know, mm. I don't think it's going to be too long till we see Smith Rowe with him in the England squad because I, I, hope think, so. I think he's just mm. going to get better and better and better. And he's already, when you think he only came in, you know, he's behind, he's way behind Saka, really, because he only came into the mm. team on what well, was boxing. It was a Chelsea game, wasn't it? And um, so he only sort of played half season last season, whereas Saka had been playing under Emery and then certainly under, under Mikel before that. Mm. So he's behind in his development and just the rate of improvement and, he just looks like a proper senior player to me now when you look at Smith Rowe. You don't, I don't even think of him as a youngster anymore. And um, I just think he's going to get better and better as well. I think he's, he's <laughs> made me laugh. Aston Villa bidding 25 million for him in the summer. Mm. Absolutely cheeky. mad. That's so cheeky. cheeky. So cheeky. I like it, but no, he does. Um, I think as well, it'd be fair to mention, we talked about him earlier, Granite Jacker's strong performance um, and ultimately injury. Um, that will obviously shape our midfield over the next three months going into the, the winter. And I thought he was particularly good against Spurs. Um, yes. well. And the significance of his injury is funny because I'm, I'm such a roller coaster with Granite. Sometimes I'm thinking, oh, I'm glad he's out. Now I'm thinking it's a loss, it's a miss. Definitely Considering, a yeah. It's definitely. It's, I mean, like I said, I'm. I think Arsenal need to improve on Janet, on Granite. But while he's here, he's the best they've got. Still, certainly with Party, and they miss him when he doesn't play because he's so important. You know, I don't think that that's not me saying they shouldn't improve on him and sign someone else. Because I think they should. But he's definitely he's a really important player for this for this team and the way Arteta wants them to play. And um, when he's in the team, Arsenal are just a better side, I think. And they're going to miss mm. him in these three months. Absolutely, definitely going to miss him. And it, it's a shame, really, because we've just not seen Party and Jacker together at all. Because all the last no. season, it was Party was out, and now Party's back, and Jacker goes out, and um, and it is a shame. And you know, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that Arsenal are gonna are gonna miss him in these next three months. And I'm not sure exactly what Arteta's gonna settle on. Is he gonna give Sambi a proper run for three months, or is he gonna move things around and um, go four three three more than he probably would have done? So we'll have to wait and see as that all progresses. He went with Sambi against Brighton. I thought Sambi did pretty well. I thought Party had a poor game at Brighton, but I thought Sambi played pretty well. Um, and I like what I've seen from him, but you know, it's 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 a different he's a different player to Xhaka. He's on a different level of experience. And you know, I, I think Arsenal are definitely gonna miss him. There's no doubt about it. Brighton game. What impressed me most about it was Brighton's press. Um, it felt like we played into their hands um, because Potter obviously planned for the, for us to be playing it out from the back, trying to draw them in, and Brighton's aggression didn't match ours in that it was so much higher. Um, and I just thought to myself after the game, like, we need to be a bit more wary of this and have a little bit of a different tactic I think Ramsdale tried to play the ball longer, more in the second half and get us up the pitch a little bit quicker. Do you think we have actually got a plan B when, when we're trying to play out the back like that and it was dangerous? And yes, it does work when we can draw the players in. But if we don't match the aggression levels of the opposition or manage to get round them with two or three clever passes, I feel like we really get sucked into trying to repeat it when we should be trying something else. I'm not sure we have another plan, but... 
Brighton's press was really great. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help when you've got no target man to throw the ball up to in those situations. I mean, it was bouncing off Orba constantly when, whenever we did get it up to Orba. It was just, his touch was awful and it was bouncing off him. So um, when you don't really have that option of throwing it long too, too much when you've got him up there leading the line, if you had a Lukaku or someone like that, it'd be a little bit different. Again, I think missing Xhaka is key to that because Xhaka's the one who goes and gets the ball from the defence and, and splits the lines and, and mm. looks to get the ball forward quickly when you play out like that. Without him there, they just don't really have another player like it. Maybe Elneny is the one player, I'd say, who's got the ability to potentially do that. But unfortunately, with Mo, in ten, in, when he goes and receives the ball, in turn, instead of passing it forward most of the time, he'll move it sideways or backwards and just invite more pressure on because he just doesn't quite have the ability Xhaka has to actually split the line and um uh, and mm. get the ball forward so I think they missed him massively against that and I just think Brighton are really good I you know I think Brighton uh, I loved Brighton last season when I saw him it's just unfortunately they couldn't score any goals and so they were so much better than that their position um mm. showed last season I think I think Potter's a great coach and I think it'll be he'll be in a very big job pretty soon and they were just better than Arsenal on a day and I don't think it was a bad point from Arsenal I got loads of crap on social media about it for saying look it's just a it was a decent point in the end not saying yeah. that Arsenal played decent because they didn't, but there's the fact they played pretty rubbish and could still got a point. It was just a, it was just one of those away games. You just take it. It's, there's such a thing on social media that winds me up that you have to win every game, and if you don't win every game, it's a disaster. And you're not, especially when you're a young team like Arsenal, you're gonna have ups mm. and you're gonna have downs. You had the up against Tottenham, and then you had the down against Brighton, but they didn't lose. They ground it out. And they found a way to get a point out of it. Yes, they rode their luck at times, but you just have to do that. The Invincibles drew 12 games, for God's sake, and played badly on some of those games, but they just managed to get the draw and move on. And that's what you're going to have to do this season for Arsenal because they're not going to win every game. It's a work in progress. And I just thought it was one of those games where they didn't play well, Brighton were better, conditions were absolutely dreadful. And they just got something out of it and you move on and hope to get three points in the next game. It was just one of those away games for me in the end where they were lucky, but they got a point and you just can't really complain Mm. too much about that, can you? No, I totally agree. I felt like conditions were... Oh no, we've cut out... Well, it looks like we're in a lull. Let's see if Charles can rejoin. Hopefully we can edit this out. (laughs) 